0: Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Sarah McDooling. I'm here today with my co worker, Chanou, and we are both super, super excited to be talking to the amazing and fantastic Davina Bell. Hey. <laughs> Hello, Sarah and Shanu. Thank you for having me. Ah, <laughs> oh, look, we are so, such amazing fans of yours. And um, I don't think I've, I can't remember the last time I was so excited to hear about an upcoming. YA release than I was to hear that it would be by you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. That's so kind. Uh, So for all the people listening, um, could you just tell them a little bit about your upcoming book, The End of the World is Bigger Than Love?
1: Yeah, of course. So The End of the World is Bigger Than Love is about Summer and Winter who are 15-year-old identical twins, and they tell you the story in alternating chapters. Um, And right from the start, it becomes apparent that something really catastrophic has happened in the world and the girls are stuck alone on an island living in the shell of a bombed-out church with um, just a box of their mother's old books and a giant wall of canned food from their dad. Uh, And pretty early on, you realise that their stories don't match up what they're telling you and that one or both of them is an unreliable narrator. And so as it goes along, the reader's trying to figure out how did they end up on the island and what has actually happened to the rest of the world and how will they ever escape and who is telling the truth? And my idea was that by the end of the novel everything sort of slots into place and you have a realisation about what the stories had been about all along um, and it's a, like a really satisfying game of Tetris I had in my mind as I was writing it um, but it's also sort of about cyber terrorism and a global pandemic which is very timely um and it's a love story and there's a talking whale so it's um got a lot going on in the book but yeah it's a it's a young adult novel um but i think people of any age could probably relate to it
0: right now i would agree with that
2: <laughs> sarah and i you know i mean unbelievable but we are actually a little bit older than probably the young adult target market but <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've been reading so a, a much wider variety of books than I would normally. I mean, I'm, I'm I love young adult books, which is why I am I am here, even though I look after lifestyle books. That's my job, but um, young adult books are my love. Um, but I've been reading really widely across different genres uh, during the last sort of month, and I absolutely believe that this book, even though it's been put into
0: the wider category, and it's certainly about teenagers,
2: definitely is 100% suitable for
0: any age. And almost like supernaturally timely, can we talk a bit about <laughs> your potential powers as a sorceress for seeing into the future um, and how strange it must be to release any book, but particularly this book, given the subject matter at in the time of corona?
1: Yeah, so I started writing this book in 2012 and I finished the first draft in um, early 2016. Um, So if you think of it from that standpoint, the timing that it's coming out now, when it's about who are you, when you are by yourself in isolation, cut off from everything, um, Uh when the world has been taken over by a pandemic and um, the fear and terror that goes along with that is so weird. And I was just saying, I um, picked up the book this morning just to have a flick through. And on page two, um, there's a line that says, I know it's hard to believe now that nobody goes anywhere. Um, and there are a few other things in the book. It says something like um, back when more than 100 people were allowed to be in a room together. Yeah. And it, <laughs> it talks about football stadiums that are empty but full of holograms and all those things at the time just seemed like such whimsical, fanciful things and suddenly it's just like being hit in the face with with your own words and actually living out the truth of them. It's so Weird, And I don't know if it's the best time for this book to come out or the worst time for it to come out because are people going to be sick of um, thinking about anything to do with the pandemic or are they going to be interested in looking at it through the lens of fiction? I'm not sure, but it has been such a weird time, I can tell you.
0: I think it's the perfect time for the book. I think... um I think a lot of people will be wondering how, how you were able to write it so quickly, assuming that it's been inspired by recent events and not realising that you are, in fact, a sorceress. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but a lot of other things have also come true. Um,
1: so it's a lot about the internet and the if you push the notion of the internet to its most dark or um nefarious ends what could happen and I started writing that and I thought well okay what's the craziest thing that could happen someone could be killed in on the internet live and three weeks after or about a month after I wrote that that was when the first ISIS beheadings happened so I really did feel at that time that I was seeing into the future so it feels like um, it's happened more than once with this book.
0: I mean there's only two explanations as far as I can tell one is that you're magic and the other one is that you're just really tapped into the the collective conscience and um you know imagining what ifs with great skill (laughs) and accuracy
1: (laughs) I'll take either of those they both sound good to me but I think it's just coincidence but I think every book has its own kind of magic and things that happen that seem really serendipitous for the author and just so happens that mine seem to play out on a really global scale
0: (laughs) um so this is your first YA book um I I mean all of your books are just so wonderful I know um under the love umbrella and all the ways to be smart are go-to gifts for me like I think everyone I know with a child, (laughs) um, has received those picture books. But what was the experience like for you um, writing for this older audience for the first time? Yeah, in some ways so similar to writing for younger kids,
1: which is what I'd been doing up to that point, and in some ways so different. Um, So I think for me writing is so much about fear. (laughs) Writing is just... the terrifying prospect of failing at every turn. And I think I have that when I write a picture book and I have it when I write longer things as well. So in that way, it was the same. But I guess the difference is that a picture book, for example, is so tight and you have to be so disciplined and you have to take your reader on a really specific journey from the beginning to the end. And with this novel, I just had so much real estate and that was so freeing in a way. And you can kind of tell in The Voice of Summer it's so wordy and verbose and you can kind of see that I'm really enjoying being able to write really long sentences and um, use language in a different kind of way. So in that way it was uh, really joyous. But then I had to do something with that and make it into a plot with momentum and dramatic tension and to actually make it make sense and to get the timelines in order. So there was a lot more... um, kind of carpentry of making it all fit together in a way that um, I haven't had to do with picture books in the past because I've really felt like they've kind of come to me in their own perfect little arc. Uh, So it was a lot of work, like so much work and especially because it's such an odd book and it goes back and forth in time and it goes in different (laughs) places around the world and there are two unreliable narrators. So (laughs) I really sort of feel like I made it as difficult as possible for myself, maybe as a challenge because I am used to
0: writing shorter, simpler things. Uh, Shanu and I were discussing before the podcast how lightly we would have to tread around discussions of this book because of, you know, because there are things that are hidden, because there's unreliable narrators and because there's reveals that come later. Um, I don't know if it's even fair to ask you a question that's going to be so hard to answer without giving away spoilers, but... I guess just in the broadest, broadest sense, how hard is it to decide when you're writing with, with unreliable narrators and you've got some, you know, big reveals down the line? How do you parcel out the hints and, like, make sure that the information is revealed in the right way? Because it's so well done in the book. But I can't imagine it been easy to pull off. Oh, thank you so,
1: so much. That's so lovely to hear because... It was so hard, and the answer has two parts, and one of them is a lot of post-it notes. So I had um, I had a wall of post-it notes of um, in two different colors for the two different narrators, and when it was sort of mapping when different parts are revealed from each character's point of view, and when those map up against each other, and where they are different from each other, um, and and how they um, interweave to create a greater truth. So it really looks like, you know, is it A Beautiful Mind, that movie with Russell Crowe, where he's drawing yeah. a whiteboard in sort of like a frenzied, um, kind of slightly crazed, um <laughs> sort of yeah yeah a lot like that um but there was a lot of like literally mechanically mapping it out with post-it notes and then I had the most incredible editor at text um Elena Gagoulas and she was so smart and so cluey and didn't seem daunted um by taking this on and she um really helped me get it in the best shape possible and we went through a really rigorous process um to get it to where it was so that's so so gratifying to hear that um it actually does come across like um, it all fits together in a satisfying way. So thank you for that.
2: Um, yeah, and it's really really interesting because just before I read I read your book, I read um, uh, another book, Daisy Johnson Sisters, and um, she tackles not at all similar in terms of the um, the actual themes of the book, but that same kind of um, sisters unreliable narrators um, kind of way. Um, kind of story and so but this book was so different to to that one even though I read them like pretty much I think it was on the same day back to back one I read hers in the morning and then yours in the afternoon Um, but it was it was so interesting how um how you put together um these voices that were so um so specific and so different from each other but you could feel um the connection and the and the and the love between the two between summer and winter um, and how you know they would do you know anything for each other, but also that kind of um, sort of growing up and growing apart. That kind of has to happen, um, you know, with any kind of you know siblings, but particularly particularly um, particularly twins. So did you um, come to the characters first? Um, is that kind of what drew you to um, you know? You said you're talking about writing, being able to write these different kinds of sentences, which were you know, summers kind of like free thought kind of chapters and winter's got much more contained um shorter sentences but it was was that kind of where you started or did you start with the kind of plot first and then sort of work your characters into a way it you know, which which kind of which came first chicken or egg
1: <laughs> it was definitely the characters and i think when i write i'm always um drawn to writing long scenes of characters talking that can actually end up being really boring and have to um scrap a lot of them and make it into plot but it was definitely um, the two girls and the idea that they're kind of the inverse of each other, they're very yeah. yin and yang, and Summer's voice still to this day, it's something that almost lives apart from me. It's like tuning into a radio and just sort of bashing out all the different things she's saying. And then um, Winter has so much more of a restrained voice and she's much more gentle. And I guess in, in the novel, um, you, I'm not sure if you've noticed or if anyone would notice, but as it gets to the very end, her sentences become a little bit longer and Summer's become a little bit shorter. Um, and it's almost that Winter has to find her voice, which Summer has um, kind of been taking up the air of for so long. So it was definitely the characters. And very early on, those those voices didn't change from basically when I started the book. They kind of um, were pretty fully formed and the idea of them being um, binary was really at the heart of the idea of the book, and then the plot um, sort of unfurled over a number of years and took right up to the last draft and even the last set of pages before it went to print. I was still tweaking the plot and changing it. And um, my as I said, my editor Elena not only is she a genius, but also extremely patient because <laughs> it was those down to the wire situations. Oh
2: yeah. That, I, oh,
1: sorry,
2: go Sarah. No, 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 you go. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the fun of podcasting when we're all in different places it's like, <laughs> let's play games who can be the most polite <laughs> <laughs> so true <laughs> i was i was um i was going to say that i'm 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 glad that you that that was the way that you had had written the book because um uh i when i saw the the quote that you use at the end i was like oh my goodness that's amazing that she's managed to find a quote that perfectly you know fits exactly what the story kind of you know the heart of the story is, um, but I'm presuming that the Camus quote is something that you had read before, at some point.
1: Well, can I tell you the story of that? Yes. Yeah.
2: Please. So incredible. <laughs> so
1: I I started the story after reading the quote that's in the the be- so there's a quote at the beginning and there's an extended version of that quote at the end. So the quote at the beginning, um, if I'm able to am I able to read it, is that okay? Yes, please. Oh please, yeah. Please. yeah. Yep, the quote at the beginning, it says, in the midst of winter, I found there was within me an invincible summer. And I read that and I found it so profound and it really resonated um, with my own life. And when I'd finished the book, about a year later, I found out that that's not the end of the quote. And the quote actually has a whole nother couple of sentences. And it says, Uh, it says, in the midst of winter, I found there was within me an invincible summer. And that makes me happy. For it says that no matter how hard the world pushes against me, within me, there's something stronger, something better pushing right back. And that was the story I had written, but I hadn't had the context of the second half of that quote. And when I read it, it was another one of those moments where I just thought this book has its own weird magical force feel around it. And um, it was uh, one of the most um, spine chilling moments, I think, of my life.
0: <laughs> this further proof to my new yeah. work in theory that you're magical because that must have been so eerie.
1: Oh, so eerie. So and so many things like this is a book um at the heart of it it's the girls grief for their mother. And um about a month after I finished writing the book, my own mother passed away. So it oh. just has so many parallels and weird coincidences around it is it does feel sort of weirdly
0: magical. It yeah, is a, it's a very special book
2: um, um, thank you yeah we and we certainly that's Sarah and I were just also talking about that before saying that it felt to us that from a from a storyline point of view that yes the, absolutely the catalyst of the girl's mother is is really um, you know is really you can you can see that that's really what what sets the chain of, of um, you know narration kind of <laughs> um, through through the book and I, I love the way um, the book, the book begins with, um, you know, at the beginning when Summer's talking about, about you know what happens, um, what's happened to her mother, and then later on when 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 Winter sort of says, you know, you, you kind of you took my mother away from me, um, which is kind of that sort of that thing about you know us hiding hiding the things we don't want to, the bad things we don't want to kind of remember from us um, from ourselves, um, not just you know other people maybe not talking about something bad that happens, but uh, but you know, when we go through a trauma ourselves, not wanting to sort of face um, face what's happened. So I think it's just such a wonderful thing for younger people to read as well, um, as well as also like the romance that was in it, which um, you know I thought was a really interesting way because you get these two two perspectives on what might be happening um, with uh, with this with this person. Or bear Edward that um, you know that that shows up um, and it really it really shows first love I thought in a really beautiful way and also um, can show that when things don't go maybe as expected um, there are still lessons that are good lessons to be learned from from things that happen. Did you feel um, that you had a particular kind of um, you know thought that you wanted to get across in the in that character?
1: The character yes. Yeah, it's everything that you're saying, which is just so heartening to hear. <laughs> it's about, I guess, about integrating the whole of your story into your life and coming to terms with it. And and it's you in your moments of light and glory and it's you in your moments of darkness and heartbreak. But to know that that's all part of your story and that's all of what makes you who you are and that even going through the most horrible things, Um, that is building the architecture of your own identity, which I think is definitely part of Winter's journey and the romance with Edward is a part of that. And I guess having the perspective of realising that out of great heartbreak you can still take out kind of the beautiful gems that come out of the fire and um, I think that's, that's basically the whole every character's journey leads back to that idea of, Um, what are the stories you tell yourself and at what point do you let in the idea of your imperfections and your darkness and realise that that makes you the authentic whole of who you are? Oh,
0: wow. (laughs) I wanted to, I got shivers listening to you just say that actually, (laughs) just so that you know. Um, I wanted to ask, particularly now that we've brought up Edward, there's this, there's such a um, interesting vibe to this whole book because it's got, you know, it's sort of post apocalyptic, but it's so like lyrically beautifully written and, and magic, there's a magicalness to it. Um, and I love mashups and stuff, and I loved all of the literary references um, in this book and like the sort of fairy tale quality of the two sisters with a Bear slash boy <laughs> reminding me of the fairy tale, um, Rose Red and Snow White. Like, I just actually just wanted to pick your brain on all the like inspirations that might have gone into this book.
1: That's a really interesting question, and um, I have to say, I don't usually read dystopian fiction, I don't usually read. Sci-fi, or magic realism, or even young adult. So the fact that it is um, a mashup of all those things is really funny to me. Um, <laughs> and I guess if I had to pick um, influences, I definitely think *How I Live Now* by Meg Rossoff was a huge influence on me. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That, which is a YA dystopian novel, um, and it has a little bit, I guess, with the character who, in one version, is a boy, and in the other version, is a bear, Edward. Um, I suppose that has some resonance with the ideas from The Life of Pi, I guess, a little bit, um, which I read as a teenager and really loved. Um, and I guess I Capture the Castle is another one. Oh, yeah. In alone in the church and um, in Dodie Smith's book, they're alone in the castle. So, but it is uh, generally a love song to books as well. So there are lots of little references of things that um, – books that I loved growing up and that I felt were formative to me and I wanted to give that kind of idea of um, the books you read not only being such a comfort but also um, contributing, like making you the person who you become and who you want to become as well.
0: I love how you sort of laid out that in this future world it has been revealed, sort of revealed that in the future it was um, found out that the prequel to To Kill a Mockingbird was um, false like not written by Hartley, I, I quite enjoyed that. <laughs> there are a few
1: little things like that. Um, there's another one where it's found out that Taylor Swift is actually a robot.
2: Um, yes, yeah. oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot about that. That is actually, that was, I laughed aloud in my, in my mouth alone when I read that.
1: There are a few little, um, and there's a throwaway line that says, um, it references like a plane crash with Prince Charles, and there are a few little um, hints to the normal, like our contemporary world, and how that has evolved in the
2: future. That's yeah, that. and it's quite good because it helps to kind of place, um, it, it, you know, because in a book that's set kind of not with a lot of um, other, you know, external characters or external forces to sort of tell you kind of where you are in the, um, you know, in the t- in the timeline of the world, it kind of helps you sort of see that. Oh, okay so you know it just it just helps like set part of the um you know part of the scene in your mind that you're not looking at you know people wearing you know space suits and you know, <laughs> you know 3000 years in the future kind of thing it's um you know that it's it's still it's still something that's relatable to where we could be or where we you know where we could end up quite soon
1: Um, yeah so the idea is that it's in the near future but it's never specified how long Um, and I think my editor imagines it's about 50 years and I imagine it's about seven years
2: so people can (laughs) spin on that yeah I was I was thinking maybe more like 15 I was kind of maybe that's where I thought that's where I was thinking in Mm -hmm. my my mind maybe that's because how old the characters were so I kind of thought about them maybe being born into a normal world and then you know all these things happening, so maybe it actually be more years. But you see, it's lovely, it's wonderful. That's the best part that we can all just put in our own <laughs> our own thoughts, and it doesn't make it wrong or right, and it doesn't um, it doesn't change how uh, how the story works. So that's um, that's very well
0: done. I'd put money on Davina's future telling powers, though, and say it's probably seven. <laughs> 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 that's
2: that's you're probably right. Um, I had a question about the title. Only oh, yeah. because um one of my favourite artists is Jens Lechman and he happened to have a song called The End of the World Is Bigger Than Love. And I wasn't sure if the title if you knew about that song, or if that was just a happy coincidence for me that those two things that those two things exist.
1: No, together. it is it's from the song. It's from Jens Lech- <laughs> Lechman song that's um Yay! <laughs> Oh um, my goodness, that makes me so happy. when I um, really got serious about writing this book I had actually just moved back to WA and I was living in the country by myself in the countryside um, and I listened to a lot of Jens Leckmann and it sort of seeped into my soul so the the book had a lot of different titles before I decided to steal Jens's so thank (laughs) you Jens if you're ever listening (laughs) thank you so much. (laughs) I thought you would be so flattered. (laughs) (laughs) It just seemed to fit so well with what I was trying to say and explore, um, that I, when I sort of thought about it, I thought it couldn't be any other title.
2: Yeah, and, and it's funny because you, the way you work the title into the actual book itself is so perfect, um, but it just goes to show that I, I, I think that, and, and Sarah, I don't know if you remember, but like when we first all started working, you know, remotely and stuff, and I, I remember I told you that the first thing I put on, I just listened to like all day a Spotify playlist of Jens Lechman because he just has the perfect songs for when... Yeah. Through a pandemic and, yes. um, and <laughs> if this can help introduce more people to his amazing work then I think that's uh, that's also that's also great
0: it's oh, making yeah. me think that I'd like uh, Davina to put together a playlist for the book <gasps> yes yeah. oh actually I have, I have a
1: <laughs> playlist of um songs I was listening to when I wrote it if that I don't know about itself or... oh the world oh,
0: needs to know this yes
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, is it a Spotify playlist? Because maybe we can make that make that happen. That would be incredible. Because I love it. I absolutely love reading a book. Um and then with you the know. music from the author. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Of course. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Oh, that that's making me excited now because now I I'm like I'm I'm thinking I've got something I can listen to. <laughs> a new a new playlist for work. Well, Better than the mini
1: the- <laughs> It's a pretty weird mashup, I have to say, but the book is a pretty weird mashup as well. so <laughs> maybe those two things are inter- interconnected. who knows?
0: <laughs> oh, no, I really look forward to that. Um, the the last thing we're running a bit short on time. The last thing I wanted to ask you is a question that you you usually when you ask it, you have a vague idea of what that author will say, which is what's up next to you, next for you, but like I If someone had asked me what you would write next before I knew about this book, I never would have guessed that you would write this book. So now I guess I'm really curious as to what you're planning to do next because it could be anything.
1: That is a really interesting question. So um, I've got a couple of things coming out that I've already written that are coming out the end of this year and next year, but I actually am at the point where I have to choose what to write next and I I really don't know. And I feel like I had thought that in this shutdown pandemic time I would be incredibly creative and productive and I'd really um, make a big dent in a new project. But I haven't felt that at all and I haven't been able to write anything. So my answer is your guess is as good as mine. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess it's all about – I have a particular feeling that I get when I know it's an idea that I'm really passionate about and that I can see through. Um, and I haven't had that about anything lately. So it could be a picture book, it could be a middle fiction, or it could be. Uh, my friend asked me the other day if I'd ever thought about
0: writing a rom com, and I suddenly thought,
2: oh, No, I never have, but maybe. I
0: <laughs> oh my god, I'd be all over that.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd be totally in for that. Um, so who knows? So who knows? Oh. Well, see, the good thing is that you have, um, that this book is not one that you just read once and then forget it about. Is that um, it's it's definitely one that you read and then go, oh, and then you want to kind of reread again. So I, I have a feeling that um, you know, even if it's a little while before we see uh, something else, obviously besides the you know things that are coming out for, from you, that people will be able to enjoy this book for
0: many a year to come. I was thinking that actually it's the kind of book that wants you get to the end and and begin to understand you really do want to start again because it would be a different experience the second time around yes you can't say that of all books no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well it's so um i have you're the first people i've talked to who aren't my editor um <laughs> who read the final copy so it's just so gratifying to know that it actually makes sense and it doesn't want to make you throw it across the room in rage and anger. (laughs)
0: So I think you're too captivated to consider doing that.
2: Yeah, Yeah, but if you could write something next, if you do plan on, if you do end up writing, say, another young adult novel that's, like, really happy where really good things happen to everyone in the world um, and there's no more illness and no more bad things, then that would be great (laughs) because I'd like for those things to come true.
0: I'll give it a go. I'll see what happens. And if (laughs) you do have the power to make what you write come true, you could write a story all about, you know, uh, a woman called Sarah who wins the lottery and (laughs) has a really, really happy life. And I'd be be down with that. Okay, I'll give it some
1: thought. I was just thinking when you said that, should I try and write something about the 2020 U.S. election and hope that comes true? Maybe. Oh, oh my gosh!
2: You know, yes. <laughs> I, I, I feel that um uh uh Curtis Sittenfeld has tried to sort of rewrite just the recent history with the Rodham. So um yeah uh, if and if that had come true, then that would be we would be in a different world right now as well. So, yeah, maybe you should do that. That would be good. That would, Any that powers
0: would be of sorcery that you can access to um, ensure a brighter future for the world. <laughs> we'll, we'll take tell it. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, on, on that note, we should, we should probably wrap up. But, um, Davina, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you today.
1: Oh, thank you. And likewise, and thank you so much. Um, thank you for reading my book and thank you for being so enthusiastic about it. It means so much. and. Yeah, as I said, I started it eight years ago and I never could have imagined um, talking to you guys
2: on a podcast about it. I don't think podcasts even existed. No. <laughs> I don't think they a thing. Well, there's only one thing I was listening to eight years ago, no.
0: <laughs> well, it is a it is a gorgeous, magical and, and sort of beautifully haunting book and um, we haven't even spoken about the cover, but anyone listening, uh, mm-hmm. please just look at this book because it's a. you must have been delighted when you saw that cover. Demeanor. It matches the story, like, so well.
1: Oh, well, do you know what? In an amazing twist of events, um, my best friend was the cover designer.
2: <sighs> really? oh, she
1: is the, yeah, she's the art, dis- uh, art director at Text, and um, and we knew each other long before I was a writer and she was a book designer. And then
0: for us to um, be working on a book together, that was also a, also a type of magic, I think. It just really seems like a lot of magical things, of, and coincidences um, and insights went into this book. Um, and I think it's I think you, when you read it you get that sense that there's a little bit of magic to it. Um, so everyone listening, uh, The Ends of the World is bigger than love by Demina Bell. It is out on June 2nd and it is available to order now from figureggia.